Hello and welcome back to the Gospel Podcast. This is your host, Colton McAteer. Uh, it has been a long delay, but we are back. And in this episode, we are going to be visiting Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, reading from his um, sermons at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And the sermon is entitled, The Glory of God in the Face of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, this sermon is pulled from 2 Corinthians 4, 6. This sermon is, uh, is one that comes to me as I study, actually as I, I study our beholding God, our beholding God and being transformed into his likeness. So I pray that this will be beneficial to, the, to, to each one who's listening. I pray that it would stir you up to love and good works and I heard someone say this the other day. I can't quote him because I can't remember who said it. But let's not just um, read Spurgeon to visit the mind of Spurgeon, although that is a uh, you know a mind to be um, visited and, and 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 looked at with something of a interest and an intrigue uh, because of how God made him. But let's read Spurgeon to be pressed on into Christ. As Spurgeon was a servant of Christ, let's look to the one who he preached about. Now, of course, that was a paraphrase. And of course, like I've already said, I don't know who said that. It's probably good that I paraphrased it. Um, nonetheless, let's take that to heart. As I read this sermon, let's press past the, the mind of Spurgeon. Let's press into the subject of Spurgeon, namely Jesus Christ. Glory of God in the Face of Jesus Christ, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, September 7th, 1879, 2 Corinthians 4.6, preached at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. The apostle is explaining the reason for his preaching Christ with so much earnest. He had received divine light, and he felt bound to spread it. One great motive power of all true ministry is trusteeship. The Lord has put us in trust with the gospel. He has filled us with a treasure treasure with which we are to enrich the world. The text explains in full what it is with which the Lord has entrusted us. He has bestowed upon us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is ours to reflect the light, to impart the knowledge, to manifest the glory, to point to the Savior's face, and to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Having such a work before us, we faint not, but press onward with our whole heart. With no other preface than this, we shall ask your attention this morning, first to the subject that knowledge in which Paul delights so much. What was this knowledge which to his mind was the chief of all and the most worthy to be spread? It was the knowledge of God, truly a most needful and proper knowledge for all God's creatures. For a man not to know his maker and ruler is deplorable ignorance indeed. 
The proper study of mankind is God. Paul not only knew that there is a God, for he had known that before his conversion, none can more surely believe in the Godhead than Paul did as a Jew, nor does he merely intend that he learn somewhat of the character of God, for that also he had known from the Old Testament scriptures before he was met with on the way to Damascus. But now he had come to know God in a closer, clearer, and surer way, for lie had seen him incarnate in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle had also received the knowledge of the glory of God. Never had the, never had the God of Abraham appeared so glorious as now. God in Christ Jesus had won the adoring wonder of the apostle's instructed mind. He had known Jehovah's glory as the one and only God. He had seen that glory in creation declared by the heavens and displayed upon the earth. He had beheld the glory in the law which blazed from Sinai and shed its insufferable light upon the face of Moses. But now, beyond all else, he had come to perceive the glory of God in the face or person of Jesus Christ. And this had won his soul. This special knowledge had been communicated to him at his conversion when Jesus spake to him out of heaven. In this knowledge he made in this knowledge he had made great advances by experience and by new revelations, but he had not yet learned it to the full, for he was still seeking to know it perfectly by the teaching of the divine spirit, and we find him saying that I may know him and that the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Paul knew not merely God, but God in Christ Jesus, not merely the glory of God, but the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The knowledge dealt with God, but it was, God, but it was Christward knowledge. He pined not for a Christless theism, but for God in Christ. This, beloved, is the one thing which you and I should aim to know. There are parts of the divine glory which will never be seen by us in this life. Speculate as we may. Mysticism would fain pry into the unknowable. You and I may leave dreamers in their dreams and follow the clear light which shines from the face of Jesus. What of God it is needful and beneficial for us to know he has revealed in Christ. And whatsoever is not there, we may rest assured it is unfit and unnecessary for us to know. Truly, the revelation is by no means scant, for there is vastly more revealed in the person of Christ than we shall be likely to learn in this mortal life. And even eternity will not be too long for the discovery of all the glory of God which shines forth in the person of the Word made flesh. Those who would supplement Christianity had better first add to the brilliance of the sum or the fullness of the sea. As for us, we are more than satisfied with the revelation of God in the person of our Lord Jesus, and we are persuaded of the truth of his words. He that has seen me has seen the Father. Hope not, my brethren, that the preacher can grapple with such a subject. I am overcome by it. In my meditations I have felt lost in its lengths and breadths. 
My joy is great in my theme, and yet I am conscious of a pressure upon my brain and heart, for I am as a little child wandering among the mountains, or as a lone spirit which has lost its way among the stars. I stumble among sublimities, I sink amid glories. I can only point with my finger to that which I see but cannot describe. May the Holy Spirit himself take of the things of Christ and show them unto you. We will for a minute or two consider the glory of God in which the face of Jesus Christ historically. In every incident of the life of Jesus of Nazareth, the Lord's anointed, there is much of God to be seen. What volumes upon volumes might be written to show God as revealed in every act of Christ from his birth to his death. I see him as a babe at Bethlehem lying in a manger, and there I perceive a choice glory in the mind of God, for he evidently despises the pomp and glory of the world, which might, <clears throat> which little minds esteem so highly. He might have been born in marble halls and wrapped in imperial purple, but he scorns these things. And in the manger among the oxen we see a glory which is independent of the trifles of luxury and parade. The glory of God in the person of Jesus asks no aid from the splendor of courts and palaces. Yet even as a babe he reigns and rules. Mark how the shepherds hasten to salute the newborn king, while the magi from a far east bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh and bow at his feet. When the Lord condescends to show himself in a little thing and when the Lord condescends to show himself in little things, he is still right royal and commands the homage of mankind. He is as majestic in the minute as in the magnificent, as royal in the babe at Bethlehem as in after days in the man who rode through Jerusalem with Hosannas. See the holy child of Jesus see the holy child Jesus in the temple when he is but twelve years old, sitting in the midst of the doctors, astonishing them with his questions. What wisdom there was in that child. Do you not see therein an exhibition exhibition of the truth that the foolishness of God is wiser than men? Even when God reserves his wisdom and gives forth utterances fitted for a child, he baffles the wisdom of the ages and thought. Watch that youth in the carpenter's shop. See him planning and sawing, cutting and squaring, working according to his parents' command till he is thirty years of age. What learn we here when we see the incarnate God tarrying at the workman's bench? See we not how God can wait? Is not this a masterly display of the leisure of the eternal? The infinite is never driven out of his restful pace of conscious strength. Had it been you and I, we should have hastened to begin our life work long before. We could have not have refrained from preaching and teaching for so long a period. But God can wait, and in Christ we see how prudence tempered zeal and made him share in that eternal leisure which arises out of confidence that his end is sure. The Godhead was concealed at Bethlehem and Nazareth from the eyes of carnal men, but it is revealed to those who have spiritual sight wherewith to behold the Lord. Even in those the early days of our Lord, 
while yet he was preparing for his great mission, we behold the glory of God in his youthful face, and we adore. As for his public ministry, how clearly the Godhead is there. Behold him, brethren, while he feeds five thousand with a few loaves and fishes, and you cannot fail to perceive therein the glory of God and the commiserate of the universe. For the Lord God openeth his hand and supplieth the lack of every living thing. See him cast out devils and learn the divine power over evil. Hear him raise the dead and reverence the divine prerogative to kill and to make alive. See him cure the sick and think you hear, <clears throat> and think you hear Jehovah say, I wound, I heal. Hear how he speaks and infallibly reveals the truth, and you will perceive the God of knowledge to whom the wise-hearted owe their instruction. Set over against each other these two sentences. Behold, God exalted by his power who teacheth like him, and never man spoke like this man. It is ever the Lord's way to make his truth known to those of humble and truthful hearts. And so did Jesus teach the sincere and lowly among men. Observe how Jesus dwelt among men weary and common smock frock of the peasant entering their cottages and sharing their poverty. Mark how he even washed his disciples' feet Herein we see the condescension of God, who must stoop to view the skies and bow to see what angels do, and yet does not disdain to visit the sons of men. In wondrous grace he thinks of us and has pity upon our low estate. See, too, the Christ of God, my brethren, bearing every day with the taunts of the ungodly, enduring such contradiction of sinners against himself. And you have a fair picture of the infinite patience and the marvelous long-suffering of God, and this is no small part of his glory. Note well how Jesus loved his own, which were in the world, yea, loved them to the end, and with what tenderness and gentleness he bore with them as a nurse with her child. For here you see the tenderness and gentleness of God and the love of the great father towards his erring children. You read of Jesus receiving sinners and eating with them, what is this but the Lord God, merciful and gracious, passing by transgressions, iniquity, and sin? You see Jesus living as a physician among those diseased by sin, with the one aim of healing their sickness. And here you see the pardoning mercy of our God, his delight in salvation, and the joy which he has in mercy. Beloved, I cannot go through the whole life of Jesus Christ. It were impossible, for time would fail us. But if you 
will yourselves select any single incident in which Christ appears, whether in the chamber of sickness or at the grave, whether in weakness or in power, you shall in each case behold the glory of God. Throughout his ministry, which was mainly a period of humiliation, here there gleams forth in the character, acts, and person of Jesus the glory of the everlasting Father. His acts compel us not only to admire but to adore. He is not merely a man whom God favors. He is God himself. What shall I say of his death? Oh, never did the love of God reveal itself so clearly as when he laid down his own life for his sheep. Nor did the justice of God ever flame forth so conspicuously as when he would suffer him in himself the curse for sin rather than sin should go unpunished and the law should be dishonored. Every attribute of God was focused at the cross, and he that hath eyes to look through his tears and see the wounds of Jesus shall behold more of God than a whole eternity of providence or an infinity of creation shall ever be able to reveal him. Well might the trembling centurion, as he watched the cross, exclaim, Truly, this was the Son of God. Shall I remind you, too, of the glory of God in the person of Christ Jesus and his resurrection, when he spoiled principalities and powers, led death captive, and rifled the tomb? That is indeed a godlike speech. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and have the keys of hell and death. His power, his immortality, his eternal majesty, all shone forth as he left the shades of death. I will not linger over his ascension when he returned to his own again. Then his Godhead was conspicuous, for he again put on the glory which he had with the Father, or ever the world was. Then amid the acclamations of angels and redeemed spirits, the glory of the conquering Lord was seen. By his descent he had destroyed the powers of darkness, and then he ascended that he might fill all things as only God can do. I would only hint at his session at the right hand of God, for there you know how adoring saints around him stand, and thrones and powers before him fall. The God shines gracious through the man, and shed sweet glories on them all. In heaven they never conceive of Jesus apart from the divine glory which perpetually surrounds him. No one in heaven doubts his deity, for all fall prostrate before him, or Anon, all seize their harps and weight their strings to the praise of the God of God the Lamb. The glory of God will most abundantly be seen in the second advent of our Lord. Whatever of splendor we may expect at the advent, whatever of glory shall surround that reign of a thousand years, or the end when he shall deliver up the kingdom of God, even the Father, in every transaction which prophecy leads us to expect, God in Christ Jesus will be conspicuous, and angelic eyes shall look on without adoring 
with adoring admiration as they see the eternal Father glorious in the person of his Son. These are great themes. We do but indicate them and leave them to your quiet thought. It is enough to point to a table if men have appetites for food. But now I will ask you to think of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in the same line of thought, only putting it in another fashion. Treat it by way of observation. When you look upon the material universe, you can see, if your eyes are open, somewhat of the glory of God. The reverent mind perceives enough to constrain the heart to worship, and yet after a while it pines for more. I have often heard the earth spoken of as the mirror of God's image, but when I was traveling among the Alps and saw many of the grandest phenomena of creation, such as glacier, avalanche, and tempest, I was so impressed with the narrowness of visible things in comparison to God with God that I wrote such lines as these. The mirror of the creatures lacketh space to bear the image of the infinite, Tis true the Lord hath fairly writ his name and set his seal upon creation's brow. But as the skillful potter much excels the vessel which he fashions on the wheel, e'en so, but in proportion greater far, Jehovah's self transcends his noblest works. Earth's ponderous wheels would break, her axle snatch, if freight with, with the load of deity. Space is too narrow for the eternal rest, and time too short a footstool for his throne. In your, if your mind has ever entered into communion with God, you will become conscious of the dwarfing of all visible things in his presence. Even when your thoughts sweep round the stars and circumnavigate space, you feel that heaven, even the heaven of heavens, cannot contain him. Everything conceivable falls short of the inconceivable glory of God. When you come, however, to gaze upon the face of Christ Jesus, how different is the feeling. Now you have a mirror equal to the reflection of the eternal face. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. His name is Wonderful Counselor the mighty God. He is the image of God, the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person. If your conception of Christ be truthful, it will coincide with the true idea of God, and you will exclaim, this is the true God and eternal life. Like Thomas, you will salute who you will salute who wounded Savior with the cry, my Lord and my God, Truly, God has manifested in the flesh. Truly, God was manifested in the flesh. Not a part of him, but God in perfection. In the visible creation, we see God's works. But in Christ Jesus, we have God himself, Emmanuel, God with us. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is the most sweet conspicuous because you are conscious that not only are God's attributes there, but God himself is there. In the person of Jesus, we see the glory of God in the veiling of his splendor. The Lord is not eager 
<clears throat> to display himself. Verily, thou art a God that hidest thyself, said the prophet of old. The world seems to be created rather to hide God than to manifest him. At least, it is certain that even in the grandest display of his power, we may say with Job, there was the hiding of his power. Though his light is brightness itself, yet it is only the robe which conceals him. Who coverest thyself with light as with a garment? If thus God's glory is seen in the field of creation as a light veiled and shaded, to sweep to sweep the human eye to suit the human eye we certainly see the light in the face of Jesus Christ where everything is mild and gentle full of grace as well as truth how softly breaks the divine glory through the human life of Jesus a babe in grace may graze upon this brightness without fear when Moses' face shone, the people could not look thereon. But when Jesus came from his transfiguration, the people ran to him and saluted him. Everything is attractive in God in Christ Jesus. In him we see God to the full. But the deity so mild beams through the medium of human flesh that mortal man may draw near and look and live. This glory in the face of Jesus Christ is assuredly the glory of God, even though veiled for thus in every other instant doth God in measure shine forth. In providence and in nature, such a thing as an unveiled God is not to be seen, and the revelation of God in Christ is after the same divine manner. In our Lord Jesus, we see the glory of God in the wondrous blending of the attributes behold his mercy for he dies for sinners but see his justice for he sits as judge of quick and dead observe his immutability for he is the same yesterday today and forever and see his power for his voice shakes not only earth but also heaven See how infinite is his love, for he espouses his chosen, but how terrible his wrath, for he consumes his adversaries. All the attributes of deity are in him. Power can lull the tempest, and tenderness that can embrace little children. The character of Christ is a wonderful combination of all perfections, making up one perfection. And so we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For this is God's glory, that in him nothing is excessive and nothing is deficient. He is all that is good and great. In him is light and no darkness at all. Say, it is not so seen in Jesus our Lord. When I think of God, I am led to see his glory in the outgoings of his great heart, for he is altogether unselfish and unsparingly communicative. We may conceive a period when the eternal dwelt alone and had not begun to create. He must have been inconceivably blessed, 
but he was not content to be enwrapped within himself and to enjoy perfect bliss alone. He began to create and probably formed innumerable beings long before the world came into existence. And he did this that he might multiply beings capable of happiness. He delighted to indulge his heart by deeds of beneficence, manifesting the inherent goodness of his nature. And whatever God is doing, he is consulting the happiness of his creatures. Being in himself independent of all, he loves to bless others. He is living. We speak with all in his presence. He is living, even he, not unto himself, but living in the lives of others, rejoicing in the joys of his creatures. This is his glory and is not to be seen most evidently in Christ Jesus, who saved others himself he could not save. Do you not see the great unselfish glory of God in Christ Jesus? When did he ever live unto himself? What single act of his had a selfish purpose? What word ever sought his own honor? And what deed did he consult his own aggrandizement? Neither in life nor in death did Christ live within himself. He lived for his people and died for them. See the glory of God in this. There are two things I have noticed in the glory of God whenever my soul has been saturated with it, and these I have seen in Jesus. I have stood upon a lofty hill and looked abroad upon the landscape and seen hill and dale and wood and field, and I have felt as if God had gone forth and spread his presence over all. I have felt overwhelmed. I have felt the overflow of deity. There was not a pleasant tree, nor a silvery stream, nor a cornfield ripened for the harvest, nor mount shaggy with pine, nor a heath purple with heather, but seemed aglow with God. Even as the sun pours himself over things, so does God, and in the hum of an insect as well as in the crash of a thunderbolt, we hear a voice saying, God is here. God has gone forth out of himself into the creation and filled all things. Is not the feeling of the heart in the presence of Christ? Is not this the feeling of the heart in the presence of Christ? When we come near him, he is the all-pervading spirit. In all the scenes in which Jesus appeared, he is omnipresent. Who but he is at Bethlehem or at Nazareth? Or at Jerusalem, who but he is, is in the world? Is not he to us, the everybody, the one only person of his age? I cannot think of Caesar or Rome or all the myriads that dwell on the face of the earth as being anything more than small figures in the background in the picture when Jesus is before me. He is to my mind most clearly the fullness filling all in all. All the accessories of all seen in which he appears are submerged in the flood of glory which flows from his all-subduing presence. Verily, the outgoing glory of God was in Christ. But, when, <clears throat> but you must have had another thought when you have felt the glory of God in nature. 
You must have felt the indrawing of all things towards God. You have felt created things rising unto God as steps to his throne. As you have gazed with rapture on the landscape, every tree and hill has seemed to drift towards God, to tend towards him, to return, in fact, to him from whom it came. Is it not just so in the life of Christ? He seemed to be drawing all things to himself, gathering together all things in one in his own personality. Some of these things will not move, but yet his attraction has fallen on them. While others fly with a clarity to him according to his word, I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. Thus, those observations of the glory of God, which have been suggested to us by nature, are also abundantly verified in Christ, and we are sure that the glory is the same. I cannot express my own thoughts to you so clear and vividly as I would, but this I know. If you ever get a vision of the glory of God in nature, and if you then turn your thoughts toward the Lord's Christ, you will see that the same God is in him as in the visible universe, and that the same glory shines in him only more clearly. There is one God, and that one God is gloriously manifested in Christ Jesus. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared him. Let us now treat this thought of the glory of God in the person of Christ by way of experience. Have you ever heard Christ's doctrine in your soul? If so, if so, you have felt it to be divine, for your heart has perceived its moral for your heart has perceived its moral and spiritual glory, and you have concluded that God is in it of a truth. Has your heart heard the voice of Christ speaking peace and pardon through the blood? If so, you have known him to be Lord of all. Did you ever see the fullness of his atonement? Then you have felt that God himself was there reconciling the world unto himself. You have understood the union of the two titles, God our Savior. Beloved, you have often felt the Lord's presence and you have been admitted into intimate communion with him then I know what a profound awe has crept over you which has made you fall at his feet and in the lowliest reverence of your spirit you have owned him to be Lord and God. But when he has bent over you in love and said, Fear not, when he has opened his heart to you and shown you how dear you are to him, then the rapture you have felt has been so divine that you have, beyond all question, known him to be God. There are times when the elevating influence of the presence of Christ has put his Godhead beyond the possibility of question, when we have felt that all truth we have ever heard before had no effect upon us compared with the truth that is in him, that all the spirits of the world were ineffectual to stir us to his spirit, came into contact with our spirit. In this manner, his omnipotence, all-subduing, elevating love has proved him to be none other than very God of very God. Thus, we have spoken of the supremely precious object of Christian knowledge. Secondly, 
Let us spend a few words in noticing the nature of this knowledge. How in what respects do we know the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? Briefly, first, we know it by faith. Upon the testimony of the infallible word, we believe and are sure that God is in Christ Jesus. The Lord has spoken and said, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye him. We accept as a settled fact the Godhead of the Lord Jesus, and our soul never permits a question upon it. We know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Knowing our Lord's divinity by faith, we next have used our perceptive faculty, and by consideration and meditation we perceive that His life furnishes abundant evidence that He was God. For God's glory shines in that life. The more carefully we pay attention to the details given us by the four evangelists, the more is our understanding persuaded that no mere man stands before us. If, my brethren, your spiritual nature was set to this task to try and describe how God would act if he were here, what God would be if he became incarnate and dwelt among men? I am sure, I am sure you would not have been able to imagine the life of Christ. But if someone had brought to you the description given by the evangelist, you would have said, My task is done. This is indeed a noble conception of God manifest in the flesh. I do not say that the wise men of this world would suppose God to have thus behaved. For their su- <clears throat> For their suppositions are sure to be the reverse of the simple, unaffected, open-hearted conduct of Jesus. But this I say, that the pure in heart will at once see the acts of Christ are like the doings of God. He has done exactly what a pure intelligence might suppose God would have done. The more we have studied, the more we have seen the glory of God in Christ. And now... We have come rather further than this, for we feel an inward consciousness that the deity is in Christ Jesus. It is not merely that we, be, that we have believed it and that somewhat perceive it by observation, but we have come in, into contact with Christ and have known, therefore, that he is God. We love him and we also love God and we perceive that these two are one. And the more we love truth and holiness and love, which are great traits in the character of God, the more we see of these in Christ Jesus. It is by the heart that we know God and Christ. And as our affections are purified, we become sensible of God's presence in Christ. Oftentimes, when our soul is wrapped in fellowship with Jesus, we laugh to scorn the very thought that our beloved can be less than divine. Moreover, There is one other thing that hath happened to us while we have been looking at our Lord. Blessed be his name, we begin to grow like him. Our beholding him has a purifying, has a purified, our beholding him has purified the eye which has gazed on his purity. His brightness has helped our eyesight so that we see much already and shall yet see more. 
The light of the sun blinds us, but the light of Jesus Christ strengthens the eye. We expect that as we grow in grace, we shall behold more and more of God's glory, but we shall see it best in the well-beloved, even in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a sight of God we shall enjoy in heaven. Aye, we are tending that way, and as we get nearer and nearer, our sight and vision of the glory of God in Christ is every day increased. We know it then. We know it. We believe it. We are conscious of it. We are affected by it. We are transformed by it. And thus, at this day, we have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, let us gratefully review the means of this knowledge. How have we come at it? That brings us to read the text again. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Why did not everybody see the glory of God in Jesus Christ when he was here? It was conspicuous enough. Answer. It mattereth not how bright the sun shineth among blind men. Now, the human heart is blind. It refuses to seek God in creation except after a dim fashion, but it utterly refuses to discern God in Christ, and therefore he is despised and rejected of men. Moreover, there is a God of this world, the Prince of Darkness, and since he hates the light, he deepens and confirms the natural darkness of the human mind, lest the light should reach the heart. He blinds men's minds with the error and falsehood of foul imaginations, blocking up the windows of the soul, either with unclean desire or with dense ignorance or with pride. The reason why we did not at all once, <clears throat> the reason why we did not at one time perceived the glory of God in Christ was because we were blind by nature and were darkened by the evil one. As only the pure in heart can see God, we, being impure in heart, could not see God in Christ. What, then, hath happened to us? To eternal grace be endless praise. God himself has shined into our hearts. That same God who said, let <clears throat> who said, light be, and light was, has shined into our hearts. You know crea the creation story, how all things lay in black darkness. God might have gone on to make a world in darkness if he had pleased, but if he had done so, it would be, if he had done so, it would have been to us as though it had never been, for we could not have perceived it, Therefore, he early said, let there be light. Now God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ might have been all there, and we should have never discerned it. And as far as we are concerned, it would have been as though it had never been if the Lord had not entered into us amid the thick darkness and said, let there be light. Then burst in the everlasting morning, the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness fled before it. Do you recollect the incoming of that illumination? If you do, then I know the first sight you saw by the new light 
was the glory of God and Jesus Christ. In fact, that light had come on purpose that you might see it. And at this present moment, that is the main delight of your soul, the choice subject of your thoughts. In the light of God, you have seen the light of glory of God as it is written, In thy light we shall see light. One thing I want to say to comfort all who believe. Beloved, do you see the glory of God in Christ Jesus? Then let that sight be an evidence to you of your salvation. When our Lord asked his disciples, Whom do you say that I am? Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Simon Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, note the reply of the Lord. Jesus, that confession. Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. If thou canst delight in God in Christ Jesus, then remember, no man can say that Jesus is the Christ but by the Holy Ghost. And thou hast said it, and this morning thou art saying it, and therefore the Holy Ghost has come upon thee. Whosoever believe that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Thou believe this, and therefore thou art born of the Father. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Thou lovest God, and thou art his. The Spirit of God hath opened thine eyes, and thou art saved. While I have been preaching this morning, a number of my hearers have been saying, We care nothing about Jesus Christ. His name is a most respectable one in our religion. We call ourselves Christian, but as to seeing the glory of God in him, when he was a babe, when he was despised and rejected of men, we know nothing of it. No doubt he is exalted now in heaven, and we worship him, though we hardly know why, but we see no special glory in him. Others of you have been saying, yes, God was in Jesus Christ reconciling the world unto himself, and he has reconciled me to himself. I never loved God till I saw him in Christ. I could have never any familiarity with God till I had saw his familiarity with me and the person of his son. I never understood how I could be God's son till I understood how God's son became a man. I never saw how I could be a partaker of the divine nature till I saw how his son became a partaker of the human nature and took me up unto himself, that he might take me up unto his father. O beloved, do you delight in Christ Jesus? Is he all your salvation and all your desire? Do you adore him? Do you consecrate yourself to his honor? Do you wish to live to him and to die to him? And be sure that you belong to him, for it is the mark of the children of God that they love God in Christ Jesus. So I finish by mentioning in the fourth place the responsibility of this knowledge. There have been considerable debates among the interpreters as to the precise bearing of this text, and some of them think it means that Paul is giving a reason why he preached the gospel. This makes the verse run thus, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts, that we might give out again the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God gave, the, God gave light to the apostles, 
that they might show forth the fight of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ to the nations. I do not know whether this is the exact run of the text, but I know it is true anyhow. Never is a gleam of light given to any man to hide away, and to spiritual men the great object of their lives after they have received the light is to reflect that light in all its purity. You must not hoard up the light within yourself. It will not be light to you if you do. Only think of a person when he, his room is full of sunlight, saying to his servant, Quickly now, close the shutters, and let us keep this precious light, precious light to ourselves. Your room will be in the dark, my friend. So, when a child of God gets the, the light from Christ's face, he must not say, I shall keep this to myself. For that very desire would shut it out. No, let the light shine through you. Let it shine everywhere. You have the light that you may reflect it. An object which absorbs light is dark, and we call it black. But hang up a reflector in its place when the sun is shining, and it will not appear black. It will be so bright that you will hardly bear to look at it. An object is itself bright in proportion as it sends back the light which it receives. Which it receives. So, you shall find as a Christian that if you absorb light into yourself, you will be black. But if you scatter it abroad, you yourself shall be brilliant. You shall be changed into the very image of the light which you have received. You shall become a second son. I noticed last Sabbath evening when I came into the pulpit that at the angle of the building before me, and the left hand of the sun seemed to be setting, and I saw the brightness of his round face. And yet I knew it to be the wrong quarter of the heavens for the sun to be setting there. Perhaps you will observe that there is a peculiar window in the other side of the street, and it was reflecting the sun so well that I thought it was the sun himself, and I could hardly bear the light. It was not the sun. It was only a window. And yet the radiance was dazzling. And so a man of God, when he receives the light of Christ, can become so perfect a reflector that to common eyes, at any rate, he is brightness itself. He has become transformed from glory to glory as by the image of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, if you have learned the truth, manifest it. Make it plain to others. Proclaim the gospel, not your own thoughts. For it is Christ that you are to make manifest. Teach, not your own judgments and conclusions and opinions, but the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let Jesus manifest himself in his own light. Do not cast a light upon him or attempt to show the sun with a candle. Do not aim at converting men to your views, but let the light shine for itself and work its own way. Do not color it by being like a painted window to it, but let the clear white light shine through you that others may behold your Lord. Scatter your light in all unselfishness. Wish to shine not that others may say how bright he is, but that they 
getting the light may rejoice in the source from which it came to you and to them. Be willing to make every sacrifice to spread this light which you have received. Concentrate, consecrate your entire being to the making known among the sons of men the glory of Christ. Oh, I would we had swift messengers to run the world over to tell the story that God has come down among us. I wish we had fluent tongues to tell in every language the story that coming down among us, God has arrayed in flesh like to our own and that he took our sins and carried our sorrows. Oh, that he, oh, that we had trumpet tongues to make the message peal through heaven and earth that God has come among men and cries, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, for a thunder voice to speak it, or a lightning pen to write it athwart the heavens, that God himself reconciled the world unto himself by the death of his Son, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and that whosoever believeth in Christ Jesus hath everlasting life. I cannot command thunder or lightning, but here are your tongues. Go and tell it this afternoon. Here is my tongue, and I have tried to tell it. May it be silent in the dust of death ere it cease to declare that one blessed message that God in Christ Jesus receives the son of, sons of men in boundless love. Tell it, brother. With broken accent, uh, sense, if thou canst not speak it more powerfully, whisper it, sister, gently whisper, if to none other yet to thy little children, and make the name Emmanuel, God with us, to be sweet in thy infant's ears. Thou art growing in strength and talent, young man. Consecrate thyself to this, and thou, gray beard, Ere thou dost lie down on thy last bed to breathe out thy spirit, tell the love of Jesus to thy sons, that they may tell it to their sons, and hand it down to coming generations, that mankind may never forget that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God bless you. Amen. All right. Well, there's really not too much comment to be made uh, with a sermon like that. It is so full, so rich, and so wonderful. Uh, you almost just kind of want to let it speak for itself. Um, I know that this isn't the first time that uh, I've done an episode on Charles Spurgeon. Uh, but being such a gospel-centered minister, as I think we all should be, um, it's fitting. It's fitting. Uh, the gospel podcast is about the gospel. It's trying to just draw people back to the centrality of the gospel um, in Christianity. So I hope that that's what this did. I hope you made it to the end. <laughs> it is a little bit long, lengthy, but at the very same time, you know, remember, this is a sermon. So 
Uh, Lately, I've been doing kind of these shorter episodes, reading a chapter in a book or something to draw you back to the gospel. Well, this was a sermon. And, you know, there are times, there are moments, even as I read this sermon, when I feel something of the excitement that must have been there uh, long ago as he preached this in the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Well, as always... To God be the glory. And um, until next time, farewell.